everyone. Robert Walker here, along with Caleb Pierce, and we are Sheep Things Podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to get down to the basics with industry leaders, associations, breeders, owners, vets, suppliers, and anyone else we can find to hear their stories and firsthand experiences. Hopefully, we will ask the right questions to see what makes them successful, how they got started, and what they see for the future of the sheep industry. We hope to have something new weekly that we can share, so stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates as they are published. Stay tuned as we try to share our learning experience with you all as we dive into the sheep industry together. Okay, guys, uh, this is episode 26 of the Sheep Things podcast, an episode uh, that we probably hadn't planned on producing, but... uh, after listening to it a couple of times, uh, I think everybody will enjoy the, the conversation. And we're talking about genetics, talking about crossbreeding, terminal sires, uh, where the Katahdin uh, works in that system. And uh, once you get Jim and, and Caleb talking genetics, uh, there's no holding back. So a very interesting conversation. I think a lot of you guys will enjoy. I think you need to listen to it because it's very, uh, very educational. So sit back and enjoy. Thank you. The Katahdin, you know, we we haven't had emphasis on on carcass very much. You know, a lot of the early folks were promoting it as maternal, um, and there is a significant and genetic antagonism between maternal traits and carcass. You know, so if you improve if you improve muscling, you decrease milk and and number born you know so you know over time you can move both but it's a harder so it's harder to do and if you so if you keep increasing muscling too much you'll really impact the performance in the katahdin and and most of the three of us here would consider that the katahdins are one of the best used in the world um you know they have you know for a lot of systems not all systems you know if you have a if you have a feedlot, uh, you know, uh, a Romanoff cross that produces 2.8 lambs per you a couple times a year, you know, every eight months, yeah. you know, is better than a Katahdin, you know, understanding our limitations. So, I mean, we, we can lose a lot of what makes the Katahdin successful if we overstress, you know, in my opinion, if we overstress carcass. We do, you know, but I do like Charles Parker's, uh, Dr. Charles Parker's view that we want to keep the loin eye large enough that the terminal sire doesn't have to do too much. And his view is that we needed 100 pound lambs to have two and, two and a quarter inch square inch loin eyes, you know, just to shoot for that and not anymore, you know, to for the majority of the Katahdins. Those Katahdin breeders that are doing more uh, finishing and so forth could, could move that curve some, but for the standard Katahdin that needs to move to the, to the unit, to the, into the commercial U-flux of, of the country, you know, my, my view is not to overstress that, but, and yeah. the other thing is, you know, the, I mean, the Dorper was developed, you know, with a heavy, they wanted a heavy muscle, you know, and a lot of the Dorpers in Africa only do 1.1 to 1.3 lambs, you know, mm-hmm. in those, very arid, low nutrition environments. You know, you know, you put a dorper in a 
West Texas drought and they, they have a single, you know, you put them in where there's feed and they'll be up one, one four to one six, maybe even a little bit more, but uh, you know, they, they, even so, but they've been selected for muscle in confirmation, whereas the Katahdin's been selected for shedding and maternal, you know, yeah. with, with the last 10 years, definitely increasing size. You know, we've, we've done a, done a, a fair amount. Yeah. So a question for you, since, since you've seen a lot of Katahdin's be upgraded and, and, you know, your direct marketing meet, um, Robert and I were having this conversation the other day about his, uh, his, his new project that he's working on and, uh, his, his new, uh, his new toy Ram. And, uh, anyways, so it got me thinking and, and I was wondering, so, you know, everybody, or the Australian white, you know, breeders tout this, you know, great fat melting point, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, you know, good muscle and good growth and all that. Um, but you know, they don't have parasite resistance. Um, and, and so as a terminal sire, they might work okay, but again, still lack of parasite resistance. So do you think it's feasible and do you think it would be worth the effort of crossbreeding or do you think it's better to, to, so I guess there's, it's a kind of a two different scenarios. Would you, would you go crossbreeding with this cross that I'll describe in just a second, or would you select for Katahdin's? And that cross would be, you could take a, a Katahdin U that's got a lot of parasite resistance and breed her to a Van Roy Ram. And then you get this, you know, lower fat melting point. Um, and then parasite resistant U lamb, hopefully, you know, after a few, few different tries. And then you take a Suffolk, ram and cross it with a texel you or, or vice versa you know however you do it to make sure you don't get lambing problems and you, you pick a more parasite resistant texel cross with the suffolk ram so you get this really fast growing um you know somewhat parasite resistant cross and then you cross those two so then you get a you know medium frame medium to larger frame faster growing animal with some parasite resistance that's got that lower fat melting point. I mean, obviously it would take several generations of selection to, to identify the right genes and get the right combinations to work out right. And then use that as a terminal sire on Katahdin use. Do you think that's worth the effort to try to get a, a larger, more muscular carcass with a lower fat melting point? Uh, or is it better just to use EBVs and push uh, growth and muscle depth? <laughs> come on. Well, that's like perfect. asking, uh, you know, Dale Earnhardt, if he likes Chevy. Well, well, I'll, 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 I'll back up. And first, uh, I haven't seen the research to show that the fat melting point is important. And okay. At, at, at this point, I think that's a bunch of hype. Uh, okay. And I'm not, you know, I mean, it, you know, it, it makes common, you know, the common sense they're pushing is that the longer it stays on your tongue, the longer, the longer, you know, the more mutton flavor comes out, you know, because it's staying there longer, you know, lower fat melting point, it, it moves on and out of the mouth. That was what the rationale I heard. Um, that's saying that the fat has bad. I, I'm, and there's been a little bit of research and I'm more convinced that the fat issues are associated with the sulfate, you know, with the oxidization, you know, it's a chemical term, oxidizing of mm -hmm. fatty acids. And as long as yeah. you, so if you have fatty acids that aren't as prone to oxidize, 
you're you're going to have a milder tasting meat. So I'm not convinced of that. Uh, you know, you know, if I was breeding a terminal sire, I'd be breeding some parasite resistance and breeding for lamb vitality. Mm -hmm. I, you know, um, you know, and I, you know, Katahdin's, you know, you know, I want that lamb up and nursing in five minutes. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be there. You know, I can't, when I, when I see a lamb in the pasture, when I see you lamb in the pasture, I walk away because I can't stand to watch that lamb fall down five times getting to the udder. Uh, I just walk away and I come back. I may come back a half hour later to see how, make sure they're doing okay. And if, if I'm not sure, I may stick my finger in their mouth to see that it's warm. But no, I, you know, to me, I'm, I'm in the no touch and I wouldn't want to breed anything that was not a no touch, no touch system, you know, and you know, I think the Texel, you know, maybe a Texel, you know, you know, you know, I'm sort of more prone on that side. And and, and the other question really comes in is, is what is your, you know, how big an operation do you have and mm -hmm. whether you're working in a feedlot. You know, a lot of things change if you're in a feedlot and barn lambing, you know. Yeah. You know, and I I would do think, you know, you don't you know, you don't need you don't need a good you don't need a super mom. You don't need a lamb. You don't. You can be there and stick the lamb on the. Yeah, you know, rather not. But you stick the lamb on a, on an udder, or give it a or tube feed it and and, go, and run on. Um, so I, I I I so I would for the most part I'd stay more with what we have. Look at you yeah. know evaluate more of the crossbred systems and when you use a Texel, is there a terminal? Is there a blackface terminal sire that works best on Katahdin's uh, or a Texel blackface cross that would work better, you know, in a, in a, uh, in a feedlot system, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that sort of thing. And I think what the Katahdin's, you know, what the Katahdin's, the Katahdin's offer two or three things and, you know, I don't, you know, shedding, of course, uh, the ability to lamb on pasture if you select for it. So you don't have to be there and the ability to raise sheep in the South, uh, you know, those sorts of things. And, and we need to make sure we keep those while yeah. moving, while, while, while keeping those ewes that always twin and raise twins or the few, the some that can handle the triplets in a low input system. So I, I, I'm more about more keeping the strengths of the Katahdin uh, while moving them a, a little toward where we need to go with it. And then, that yeah but on a, on a terminal sire none of that matters though right well if you yeah I, I i guess i wouldn't put that effort into a terminal sire i don't think you need i don't think you need the fat content i would just pick a terminal sire that produces lambs in your system or maybe cross them you know cross a i don't know a shropshire might you know i just haven't looked at the different black faces to see what what works and what, mm -hmm. which, of, which of the breeds have the lamb vitality uh, that isn't so negative that, you know, that the Katahdin lamb vitality, yeah. the heterosis doesn't help it. So the, the U.S. Mark deal, uh, when we were there, whatever year that was for the expo. 2014. 14, okay. So that was their, one of their presentation was the use of their easy care U 
with a variety of different terminal sires. That was that was part of their presentation. Yep. You know, and they, so they used mostly the Suffolk. The two they really compared was Suffolk and Texel. And um, mm-hmm. and that and the Texel probably worked best in most ways, but they yeah. you know they and they lamb on pasture and then move to the feedlot, which is a little bit different than lambing in the feedlot, you know, lambing where there's creep feed, you know, taking yeah. advantage of the Suffolk gain. They found that uh, the ewes bred to Texels lasted an extra year. You know, there's hmm. some, you know, a significant longevity component. Um, and it's probably due, you know, they, they didn't ever tease it out, but probably due to lamb survival that the, Rom- the Romanoff cross ewes that were bred to suffix had more lambs die and thus developed mastitis, yeah. you know, yeah. but they, you know, there's sorts of things. So I think I'm, I'm really into lamb vitality, uh, easy care, you know, the easy care site, but yeah, you could develop a, a terminal sire and I tend to use EBVs, but you know, but then I would have used EBVs and we never would add the Katahdin, you know, because somebody, you know, Michael Peel thought out of the box and and said, "Look, we don't need wool; we need maternal," um, and developed it. So, you know, yeah. So I'm, 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 you know, I know Robert's. Robert tries a lot of different breeds of sheep. You know, he has a few. He had a few Dorsets. He's he's had some Dorpers. You know, and now he's got a a Van Van Ruy cross. So, um, you know, it's a, it, it's a different approach. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm yeah. open-minded and, uh, um, you know, I see the benefit of every breed at some, you know, for something, everything has a, has a purpose, I feel like. And, um, you know, who knows? Yeah. You know, we're, yeah. So I guess a question along those lines then for, for a grass fed system, like, you know, like kind of similar to your system or, or my type of system where, um, cause we've had quite a few listeners that have written in that have, you know, grass based systems. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've upgraded the picture. You notice Caleb, I have a yep. virtual background now. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so I guess, uh, along those lines, do you think that it's going to be more beneficial with, you know, you get that hybrid vigor, maybe the extra muscling from the malostatin um, and maybe some extra growth if you cross a Texel on Katahdin news, or do you think it's better to, to go to the NSIP database and, and go, okay, I'm going to look for a Ram that's a, you know, a six on post weaning weight or a seven on post weaning weight and got good muscle depth if you're just wanting to produce meat lambs. So like, you know, let's say for a guy using EBVs like, like me, you know, I'm going, okay, this you that's, you know, a, a, 102, 103 on index isn't something I want to keep daughters out of. Um, but she keeps producing meat lambs for me for, you know, a couple of years. Um, should I, would it be more advantageous for me to pick a Katahdin Ram with high growth and just use it as a terminal Ram, um, or high growth and parasite resistance or to go for a Texel with, with With parasite resistance. Yeah. Um, a prop, you know, you know, we, 
we don't have enough on the flavor and, and there'll probably be some flavor changes and some texture changes. Yeah. But, but a, a good Texel, and it's too bad we don't have more really, you know, working with the national sheep improvement program as a president for 10 or 11 years, you know, I worked so much to try to get the Texels more involved and, and they are a little bit involved now, but it really be yeah. nice. You know, the, the, the best Texel is going to do a lot better than a Katahdin. Well, I've got but, the uh, easy care presentation pulled up on my laptop here. And uh, for example, uh, the Texel sired uh, crossbred to their easy care uh, use was only six pounds heavier than a Katahdin at 216 days. Than their best Katahdin. Well, then they're, they're just average. I mean, it's... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that... Yeah. Uh, but their Texels, their Texels are selected for the national average. As, as are a lot of their Katahdins, too. Right, so that's what I'm saying. You're taking, you're taking their average. I mean, they they bought their rams as a mix of, of industry standard average. You know, yeah, but, uh, from across of, across the board. So, and for, and how much of a difference were you saying there was again, Robert? Uh, six pounds, the, in two hundred and sixteen days. So, 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 the but, you know, and this is where the value of using animals with EBVs estimated breeding values would come in that if you use Texel rams that were selected for growth and muscling, yeah, uh, you know, you they they have to be superior to any basically pretty much any Katahdin we have. Yeah, that's a conversation that I have a lot uh in, in our area. A lot of people and you see it a lot, oh uh you need to do a Dorper Katahdin cross, you know. Well, just because you're doing a cross don't mean that either breed that you have is any good. Yeah. You know, uh, how do you know you don't mysteriously have a great, uh, heavy growth, uh, heavy loin eye Katahdin and you breed her to crappy Dorper? How do you know you don't have it? How do you know you don't know what you have? You most, know, of the, most of these people don't know what to have. They're just breeding two breeds and going, oh my gosh, it was so much bigger. Well, the, the, um, and the, you know, and you have to, a lot of the dorpers are real early maturing. There's lines of dorpers that have a very nice loin eye at 90 pounds and the, most Katahdins are a little, little less there. So, and there's, and they're already plateauing. So a bump from a, a dorper that only goes to 90 pounds when it finishes, isn't going to help that much compared to a lot of the Katahdin rams that are now have lambs that are finishing at 120. Uh, so you wouldn't get that heterosis bump. You might get a little more likely to get a bump in the, in the, in the loin eye size because they, they've been selected a little harder. But yeah, no, you, you want to use the superior animals, you know, and that's why studies where you use one Dorper ram on 20 Katahdin ewes and one Katahdin ram on 20 ewes that you don't have, you don't have the breed average. And, and, and I'm always, you know, use, you know, get the best animals you can and estimated breeding values, you know, wise use of estimated breeding values are, are my view of one of the major tools, not the only tools, one of the major tools for finding your better animals for performance you need. Yeah. 
Yeah, that makes makes a lot of sense. It's just it's just a matter of uh, just because you have. I mean, we see that so much with with katans, right? I mean, where you have a lot of variability, different sheep adapted to different systems. Just because you have a certain breed doesn't mean that it's that they're all uniform. And just because you use something else doesn't mean a, like just because you, you use a a Van Roy doesn't mean it's going to have a low fat melting point just because yeah. it's, Oh wait. Oh, sorry. Uh, moving on. You don't know that you're getting a, well, well, probably, you know, if the van, depending on how the Van Roy's were imported. Yeah. You know, what, whether they, what they use, you know, you know, some of the Dorpers imported from Australia are only based on the show ring and others are brought in based on estimated breeding values. And so, uh, you know, and there's definitely been breeders that have done both ways and went down to Australia, spent the money to bring in superior semen. Um, mm -hmm. And some only selected on show ring and some selected on, on, on estimated breeding values. So you, you don't really know what you need to, it'd be, it'd be interesting to know what was used on the Van Rui that was brought in, which you could probably find out, Robert. Yeah. Uh, you know, to know. I'll take some digging. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> then we need to find out what the percentile rankings are to know how they compare. But, uh, all right. Uh, yeah. I, you know, and, and that's, you know, and it's just di different approaches, you know, you know, if, uh, to yeah. ha whether to use a crossbred, you know, whether to work on a crossbred sire, you know, I mean, we have better tools now, but Michael Peel spent 20 years getting a, just a shedding sheep that he yeah. felt okay with, you know, and then, yeah. then we've spent, an, and then we spent another 20 years making sure that they consistently shed. And then now we've spent another 20 years mm. uh, where they become a, an important sheep for the U S sheep industry, you know? So. Yeah. But another thing we don't know is we don't know if Peel would have quit uh, modifying or if he would have kept adding uh, and trying to tweak it just a little more. We don't know that because we, you know, that didn't happen. Well, the, there's a good possibility he could have, he could have, you know, added Suffolk back to get some more size or Texel to get some shape. I mean, we don't know because, of course, he passed away. He was, but, he, uh, was yeah, he was definitely a person willing to try. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he, he might not have been done tweaking. So uh, he added the Wilshire horn, and then after mm -hmm. he passed away, they tried to get you know they lost no, they lost number they lost number born and they lost and they added horns that most people didn't want so they yeah. select, they selected against the horn and 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 kept the use the twin um so just a, a question on that because i've heard a lot of people say you know and talk about the wiltshire horn that was added and i've read a lot about that in the history um what was the the purpose because i mean the wiltshire horn I mean, they're a little bit larger, right? I mean, is that the only reason was to add muscle and carcass or, um, you know, that's, if, the, the, that's, <laughs> if they got yeah. a nice frame too, I like their bone structure and, and their shape. I mean, I think they're pretty cool looking animals. They, you know, and, and, and Robert actually alluded to when he said Michael Peel might've added back Suffolk, you know, they, you know, they didn't have the very, you know, that I don't know how many, we don't have records of how many you how, how big the u flock was in 1972 at the peel farm you know mm -hmm. what they had access to and how they were grading up their wool sheep you know i think the literature says that there or the history says there were 120 ewes that he called katahdin in 1972 uh and that's when he first called them katahdin 
uh, and that's what I recall. So that's, that's a small number of sheep to breed variability in, you know, to, to, to have enough genetic variation that you can move. Now, when you yeah. get, you know, the kind of days, you know, we've got, surely there's a hundred, you know, with registering 10,000 a year for the, or, or 8,000 a year for most of the la last half decade and all the years and all the commercial flocks, we surely have a hundred thousand, 150,000 Katahdin or high Katahdin percentage hues out there. And we've got, we've got a, enough, we've got a fair amount within, in breed variation that we can work on. And we're, yeah. And, and the accuracy of estimated breeding values to do it. So we don't have to do it as much, but, you know, and, you know, a lot of people, you know, we, we've had a number of breeders over the years add Suffolk to, you know, add, you know, I, and I know a number that are either still in or just out that had Suffolk and they're added Suffolk to their Katahdins, but hmm. they didn't, they didn't have the evaluation tools to tell which, which animals were actually growing faster. And, you know, by the time you take a Suffolk and breed it to three generations of Katahdins, you basically have a Katahdin. Now, if you have, yeah. a, if you have enough lambs that you can each generation find those lambs that are, you know, first starting out with that be 20 pounds heavier and then the next generation, you want the ones that are off the edge of the curve. You have to, if you're looking for size, you know, you each each generation you have to evaluate the cross themselves. And, and people did it with Gulf Coast natives to get parasite resistance, but they didn't do fecal leg counts to tell which were better. You know, and, the, and so you, by the time you got three generations, you were back to a Katahdin and you didn't get any of the advantages of the native or cracker in, in, the, in it. So you, you have to have, to do the cross bread, you have to have the statistical package and knowledge on how to gain those advantages. Sometimes it's the you know the advantage is is in just just making the three or four way cross or the two way cross. You know you get the best. You, on average, you're getting the best of both. But, but now, I read something that Parker had wrote that said once you get to a four way cross, you always have um, your heterosis. Is that? I think I'm saying, I think I'm. Yeah, that's right. You have, you, you know, for, for the sheep industry these days where we don't have 50 million sheep, you know, to, you know, that sort of thing, the ability to, to crossbreed, the ability to crossbreed and, and, and take advantage of some of that is a little harder. And especially if you only have, if you only have 50 ewes, you, you, if you breed replacements and, and then crossbred for the rest, it's hard to do. But so th that said, to get back to your question, a good four-way cross in which you maintain, you know, and you maintain the heterosis and don't use three or four AI sires to breed for the next 10 years, you're gonna retain a fair amount of heterosis. And if you so, don't, and you don't so have too much line breeding, you know, there are some flocks in the Katahdin Association that are doing a lot of line breeding and so we're losing heterosis. Yeah, I was about to say, so since the Katahdin is a composite breed to start with, then how do we know 
how much heterosis we still have or how much, you know, is that, is that a, is that a question or am I just uh, no, in left field like normal? <laughs> the, you know, there's been a couple, you know, in a couple of attempts at, at the level of heterosis. And, and we saw that on the Katahdin NSIP listserv the other day when, uh, you know, at least the impact, you know, the amount of inbreeding taking place, you know, Tom Murphy, Dr. Tom Murphy compared that, uh, yeah. you know, Dr. Ron Lewis, University of Nebraska at Lincoln has also done some amount of inbreeding within the, uh, within the Katahdin. There's also some genomics works done, you know, and of the 36 sires from NSIP that, you know, that, you know, that Ron Lewis did to do a, you know, we, we don't have as much heterosis as would have been predicted. So I think, you know, you know, that, you know, and it'd be good to get one of the quantitative geneticists to really talk on that, take the, the work that Tom Murphy had, the work that Ron Lewis has, uh, and say how, how much variability do we still have? Do we need, you know, because, I'm big on I'm big on heterosis because it really improves the immune system, lamb vitality, uh, lamb survival to weaning, um, and we need to retain that uh, to keep the youth, especially for a, a a youth a breed that is so strong maternally. You know that that's just a really important. Yeah, my, Robert, Robert. for my ram after all. <laughs> 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 I and mean, I, 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 we, the Katahdin breed surely has lost some heterosis from the nineties, you know, because. Yeah. See, Caleb's just upset that this ram left his world and now he, he had a chance. He could have borrowed it. I, I would have let him borrow it. You know, they, they, you know, so, so, you know, it'd be, and we could probably do it. You know, we, there's probably enough accuracy in the, in the registry flock book. Uh, that we could go back and look at, uh, you know, of the 1,000 to 2,000 sheep registered per year from 90 to 95, how many had a wool ancestor four mm. generations back? Yeah. You know, and, you know, because they, they definitely had to be at least three generations for them to be 87.5%. Um, but how many had a full one at four or five, you know, and what percentage of it, and then go look at the registry today and, and see how far back is the closest wool breed, but it's, it's sort of hard. It, again, we just know if they're a lot of the percentage sheep these days are graded up commercial Katahdins rather than a graded up wool sheep. So it's a little, a little harder to yeah. say. And most sheep well, that are being graded up are, are, or commercial Katahdins rather than, um, and then wool sheep. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I think is really cool about like what Robert's doing is, you know, bringing in some new things just to try it out and, and we'll see, see what happens and maybe get some, he'll get some, uh, unrelated genetics or whatever that, that we can get from him later or whatever to ha bring in some of that heterosis again. But, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah. You have to have a larger number of sheep to do it. So far, know. my two other experiments have failed. So, well, that, well that, you know, with the prolificacy of those other three breeds, 
I'd be tempted to use my highest index Katahdins. Yeah. If you, if you plan to use the females. Well, no, my plan is to take my lower indexing uh, use and, and, and use them as a commercial flock. If you're and, using them. Uh, yeah, go ahead. And, and because they're lower indexing because they have lower maternal traits. Right. So, so the Romanoff you will, will add some maternal, some more lambs to that uh, cross. And then, um, you know, the, yeah. I, I've not been happy with the Dorper cross that I tried. So, and the Dorset, you know, the Dorset cross worked pretty good, but God, there's some shaggy son of a guns. Well, uh, I, I just get rid of the hair. So uh, the Van Roy thing is something I looked at several years ago when I, I read a Dorper book. So I, I looked at Dorpers before I ever heard of a Katahdin and um, they have this book published and I forgot what it's called, but it's one of the, it was over in Africa, and it's it's about the history of the Dorpers or whatever. Probably called "Why Dorpers Are Amazing and Everybody Should Raise Them" or something like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, and and the book is a really great book on just sheep, you know, raising sheep, management, uh, how to pick animals, this, that, and other. And um, you know, I've always thought that, and even so, this kind of happened uh, right after I'd kind of got into Katahdin's then we went to the Clay Center deal and they showed how much more maternal and how much better the white Dorper was than the black Dorper. Mm -hmm. So then I got to thinking, well, the difference is the Van Roy. That is the animal that's different. And then uh, talking to the guys from Australia, <clears throat> whenever, you know, I'd kind of looked at that several years ago uh, when there wasn't none in the U.S. And their deal was the the melting point and um, and some of that part came from the that part came from the Van Roy. So um, or that's what they said anyway. I, I'm drinking a Kool-Aid. So when I'm at Clay Center and all you know, I, I see that part and I'm like, man. And, and I'd kind of, you know, let all that go until a couple of weeks ago, a friend showed a picture and <clears throat> just said it was a commercial ram and, and I seen it had a fat tail on it. And I knew right then something something was different. So I asked her what it was, and she told me, I'm like, I, I'll take it. You know, I want it now. <laughs> Hurry yeah. up. You know, that, yeah, that, yeah, I'd forgotten. The, I keep forgetting that you put, have the Romanoff in there. I was thinking more of the Australian white, which. I can't afford them, so. Well, and, and the Australian white didn't start with anything that had more than 1.3 lambs per year. Right. I, I yeah. still want, you know, so I, I'm just basically taking you know, my lower index and use. Right. And, um, and, and trying to develop a commercial flock that, that will be, because um, I, I see the problem with, you know, a guy, you know, if you got a couple hundred registered sheep, and we talked about this earlier, most people, when they hear the term registered, it, it scares them. It think, you know, people think that those things have been raised in a petting zoo or in a barn or, yeah. you know, and, and they've been petted and, and, and just pampered and it scares off the cattle guys that you're trying to sell your commercial use to. Well, the, and, um, and we, we've done a fairly good job in the Katahdin Association at not making the primary function of the 
the association show and pretty much you know everybody calls well i don't want to register sheep i'm not going to show you know you know there's this whole, whole perception that registration equals show exactly and, and well, these guys and that, have, these cattle guys they're in that they're in that same world you know um they see uh, they buy and they see these cattle that they bought at a show or a sale mm-hmm. that has you know been in a cooler and had their hair grown just right so they could trim it to make it look better yeah and it falls apart when they take it home so um but but i know and most of the cattle breeds not all of them but most of the cattle breeds have a you know a performance or, or production quantitative you know epds in the cattle world and uh, and the right. show and the show the show group and they're different and they're different groups you know whereas in the sheep world more of the breeds are are show show only uh but uh yeah no and it you know there's a lot of people won't buy from any flock that doesn't have more than 150 ewes you know you know the same same thing yeah um, you know in in both laura you know callum fort meyer and and teresa and i in this office have tried to maintain the you know the production side that we keep a focus of the registry not the sole focus but to keep a focus of the registry at producing sheep that work work f- for the commercial in fact i personally uh i only register the sheep that will work for a commercial person you know if they if they won't work for a commercial person i don't register them uh you know that's my criteria is this a good animal my criteria for registering is this a good animal for a commercial production system uh yeah. do they have the traits to perform and if so then i register that's my you know so that's i've always said that and if they don't yeah, i don't register mine until they lamb you know and I, I'm make sure they lamb make sure everything make sure they don't walk off you know all the silly stuff i want to make sure that yeah. uh they're worthy you know yeah, yeah. you know and 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 and, and, I, and i've been able to give that advice you know some of that advice you know somebody calls in i said my, i just had two lambs yesterday i want to register my first lambs how'd i do it and i said well let's use you know i say well yeah you can this is how you do it but often we wait until they're 120 days old you know i get them to 120 or or if you're keeping them you know wait it you know wait a year till they lamb you know the lightning could strike them you know we'll, yeah i mean we'll, we'll take I, we don't mind getting the money for the association's purposes but it it you know, our breed will be better if you use evaluation and say, well, you need to work on what your evaluation system is. You know, I've always, always tried to teach, teach people a little bit when I get that first call about how to register their first lamb. So. All right. Well, guys, it's getting close to the time we need to take a break. So, uh, we can stop here and, uh, because we could talk about this for two days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and, uh, while we touch base around the seventeenth to see our what our next next one, and we could do the rest of what Caleb and you have on the agenda, or do one or two of them. You know. Oh yeah, and I've got a lot more uh, than the those those questions for the the EBVs and uh, <laughs> right all that stuff. Um, I was just kind of the intro. Yeah, so. you know, it. I, you know, I may have told you, Caleb, but I was, I was really fortunate. You know, we, you know, you brought asked me how I transitioned from, uh, you know, from uh, 
working at the university and a cattle background to, to sheep. But, mm -hmm. uh, um, and it's one place where the PhD came in handy. Uh, I was able to call Charles Parker, Craig Limaster, Dave Notter, and Larry Keene, argu arguably, you know, in the top tier of sheep geneticists yeah. in the country, and I was able to call them on a regular basis and and get the questions answered that I needed answered. You know, and yeah. I said, well, I've got this question, and does it work this way? And 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 Parker, Parker really took me in his hand. Uh, yeah. You know, and he, now I first heard him in '98, and then I heard him again in 2000. Uh, and I in so the summer of 2000, I called. Well, how do you tell what sheep is best? He says, wait for my talk at the annual meeting and I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah was, no, he is that, great. That, 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 that was, that, that was when he gave the EBVs. Uh, yeah. You know, he, he, you know, his night talk in 98 that I heard him, he, he, he gave a fair amount, but he wasn't talking as much about NSIP then. Uh, but in 2000, he, he, he said, there's a young man in the back row back there that asked me how to find the best sheep. <laughs> I said, oh, here's my answer <laughs> uh, yeah, I could I could almost hear him doing that just from the little bit of time we got to spend with him on the podcast I can kind of <laughs> I can imagine that so yeah it was nice I, to, uh, you know I, I said well I, I said I should I said there's no way you can get an EPD for parasite resistance he goes Jim yes there is that's Dave Nodder and so and he's also the one that let kept at us till we got the index. Um, yeah. You know, and so um, I was fortunate to have his guidance um, when I when I went to Dave Nodder to get those. So. Yeah. And so this is a, a random question before we go, and this obviously is not, you know, not podcast stuff. This is just separate. Um, so I had this idea and it's kind of partially Etienne's idea. Um, and oh, wait a me. minute. So Caleb's getting ideas. I'm rubbing off on him. <laughs> and uh, anyways, so Etienne's idea um, and it bouncing around in my mind, kind of another idea. So anyways, Etienne tried to develop, and he may have talked to you about it a year or two ago, he tried to develop his own within flock EBV for body condition score. Um, which I think would be really cool and really nice to just keep that balance and keep use from killing themselves in, you know, when they're nursing, um, find the use that are, you know, higher indexing that are also can maintain condition if such a you exists anyways. Um, and so was bouncing around this idea in my mind of, okay, how could we do that? And then maybe get sheep genetics to do it because it'd be pretty easy to get people to collect the data on body condition score and same with Famacha score. And, and so anyways, I asked Dr. Burke about her thoughts on heritability and, and all that. Cause, cause Etienne found some research that said, you know, at least in the breeds that were studied, it was like 16 to 30% heritable. So something. Um, so anyways, and she was saying that it's like $10,000 per field to get chip genetics to add to allow us to, even enter the data is that is that i thought it was a hundred grand oh but it depends on depends on the implementation yeah i forget which i know you know the genomics cb you know there's 
it depends on the complexity of what they're adding. Yeah. Uh, and because I, I was, I would like to see a, a 60 day and 120 day Fumacha because she said the heritability is there from their study to be able to do that. And then we could get resilience as well as resistance and then body condition score at weaning before breeding and at lambing. And I mean, if you have, you know, six, six years in the life of a you that you could submit that, I mean, that's a lot of data points. I would think some accuracy could be developed and maybe that's just a, a harebrained idea. Um, but, <laughs> I know, you know, you know, I've had people want to approach me to, you know, add an EBV for lamb survival of three days. And Hey, you, you can get, I don't know, possibly long, I might go for longevity rather than body condition. And I might, you know, okay. some, of, some of it's just, you know, pounds lamb weaned, pounds lamb weaned sort of gets you the 60 that, you know, if a you, you know, if a you, if you falls down to 60 days, um, I, I, you know, I, I mean, we don't need more than it. You know, I, I think we have to think really hard on what EBVs to add. And okay. We've got, we've yeah. Got, yeah. Definitely. Know, I, I, having having loin eye is almost too much. <laughs> Other than you know, we need to have some. You know. Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, an EBV we need is is a is a ewe that has lambs more than, you know, if she does three times in two years, and you only get to count, you know, one of those lamb crops in one year. It's a, I, I think that's your super you. I, I mean, I think those should count. Well, the, and, and accelerated lambing is really important for high input systems. I don't think it works for grass-based farming. My use wouldn't survive. <laughs> you know, you un, unless you have a unless you unless you're feeding them on alfalfa. You yeah, know, but uh, but uh, NSIP is not only for grass-fed animals. Right. Though. Right. It, okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, one sector from another. The excel, accelerated lambing would be very important for the polypase. Yeah, I mean, parasite resistance is not important for a uh, polypase um, from a building in Minnesota with 300 ewes in it. No, no, yeah. the accelerated. So we, accel we have parasite resistance. The, so the acceler yeah, accelerated lambing is probably the hardest for them to add because so much of the program is written to, mm -hmm. you know, because, you know, for two things, the program is written for Merinos and our Merinos is almost lucky to average a lamb every one and a half years. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, that's, I, I don't, yeah, mean, no, I, don't yeah. I don't really mean that, but you know, yeah, and probably lamb, <laughs> lamb for the first time at two years of age, the U S Ram, a lot of U S Rambolais are way, way better than that, you know, and I'm not, you know, speaking about those, uh, yeah. but the Australian Merino has developed a wool, so they, they just don't have the, you know, it, take, it would take a whole program rewrite. They've written so much of the program said if a you lambs twice in one month, it's an error, because there's no way a Merino can lamb twice. Again, I'm, I'm being facetious, but no way a Merino can lamb twice in a year. So, uh, you know, so they wrote that into the program. So we have to write that out of the program. And because so much Australia is grass and forage. They don't have a huge demand to rewrite the program. So we would, 
we would have to pay a lot to have them change the system. Um, so accelerated is probably maybe the hardest trait to change. You know, and we, we've been discussing that since 2000, 2010. You know, Nader has actually done the research once or twice with certain breeds on how to, you know, he had a large polypay flock in Nebraska that they looked at lambing records for 10 years and, uh, and were able to get a heritability for accelerated lambing. And uh, that would have worked. But then the, then the person's turned 70 and sold their flock, um, you know, so it you know, didn't pan out. But yeah, mm -hmm. no, accelerated lambing is brought up at the NSIP board at least three times a year, Robert. I know, every year. <laughs> three times each year. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, no, it, you know, it, it's, it's, we just, we, we need a big grant. Yeah. So, and, and you do, you, and you need, and you need somebody to collect records on accelerated flocks, probably, you know, probably on a, you know, a thousand head of use for four years. So you could develop a heritability and the predictors that predict it. You know, it's, yeah. not, it's not, you know, in the same way with body, you know, you mentioned the ATN looking at body condition, you went and found papers on what it is, but to make it accurate in Katahdin's, you would need yeah. to look at offspring of yous who always get the body condition score one and a half at 60 days, that yeah. sort of thing. And but Dr. Burke said that that would be, cause she said they've got, they've collected all that in their flock. And then the, the, uh, Mean Animal Research Center, they've got that in their flock. So she seemed to think that it wouldn't be too hard to put together the data, but at the same time, I don't know that's enough animals. But right. the other question that that brings up actually is... Now the, the, other, may, the, other way, the other way to improve body condition score is add white dorper. I'm convinced that they stay fat. <laughs> you, know, I, I, you, know, you know, when I answer the Katahdin line, you know, somebody says, what's the difference between Katahdin and Dorper? And, you know, I, if I have the right person, I say, well, the Dorper lamb gets fat if the corn's a quarter mile away. You know, you know they, they fatten easily. I don't, you probably <laughs> found that, Robert. And uh, it, yeah, as long as there aren't parasites, of course. But anyway, go ahead. Parasites was hard on mine. Yeah. 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 So, and this has to do with that grant um, that we need to jump onto a platform um, and I'm going to talk to Dan probably next couple of days um, about seeing if the NSIP committee can do that. Um, anyways. So, okay. okay. Awesome. All right. Well, thank okay. you so much. Okay. okay. Yeah, I'd, talk better, to you. I'd better go like we all need to. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the sheep things podcast. Stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates. We want your feedback, so you can email us at podcast at sheepthings.com for suggestions or comments. Thank you, and see you later.